Well, I think I finally understand uh, why all the preachers that I've talked to have said that it's hard to get up and preach for the first time after a gospel meeting. Um, I think Jason did a a really wonderful job last week. I appreciated his enthusiasm and his his passion for what he was talking about. And uh, I appreciated um, getting to spend some time with him one-on-one, getting to know a little bit more about him and hearing his story. One of the things that I like to do whenever I get a chance to uh, sit down one-on-one with another preacher is ask them uh, how they decided to start um, preaching um, because it's a, it's a diff- difficult role. It's an important role, um, and I like to hear um, why someone decided to make that decision. I won't go into the specifics of his story. He can tell it a lot better than I can, but I, I did appreciate his story. He, he told me <clears throat> that he didn't become a Christian until a lot later in life. And once he was taught the gospel, uh, he realized that the world is just one of those things that if you let it, it will suck you right back in. And he knew that the best way that he could uh, keep from getting sucked back into the world was to spend as much time as he could in God's Word. Um, and so that's what he did, and he developed a passion for it, and he was given some opportunities to teach and then to deliver some messages, and he developed a passion for that. And he told me one of the reasons he wanted to preach is because he had such a joy of finding what the gospel had to offer him that he wanted to share that with people. He wanted other people to have the same joy. And that's really the best reason uh, for someone to begin doing the work of preaching, but it's one of the reasons that he told me that he has such a passion for evangelism, for reaching the lost, because he has this joy and he wants to share it with people. And you know, evangelism is really something that we should all be passionate about. Uh, We have been given so much by God, we should be passionate about everyone else being recipients of the gift that God has given to us. I think it's easy to look at the work of evangelism and think that it falls uh, to on the shoulders of other people, like the elders or the deacons or the preachers. That's their job to be teaching the lost. And the elders and the preacher and the deacons do have that responsibility. But they have the same responsibility that every single one of God's people have to reach the lost. It doesn't just fall on their shoulders. It falls on the shoulders of each and every single one of us. We are all in this together. And we are to be working together to further the kingdom of God. In some later lessons, I want to think a little bit more practically about how we can reach the lost, how we can evangelize uh, to those in the world, because I think it can sometimes feel like a daunting task. Um, I'm not naturally an outgoing person, and so going and talking to somebody that I don't know is a really tall task for me. So it, it can be daunting, but I think there are things that we can do and things that we can teach That can be very effective when we do that, and I want to do that in a later lesson. But this morning, I want to think about those that we are called to evangelize to. And I couldn't think of a better way to go about that than looking at those that Jesus sought to seek, sought to teach. 
And one story that stood out to me in particular is the story of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. So we're going to work through this story because I think it helps uh, describe to us and show us those that Jesus came to seek and therefore those that we are called to seek. Evangelism is incredibly important. It's one of the tasks given to us as God's people to be reaching the lost. Before we get into this text, let's go to God in prayer. Oh Lord God, as we open up your word, we ask that you be with us. Help us, Lord, so that we can see who we need to be seeking out, who we need to be reaching with your gospel. Lord, we want all people to come to a knowledge of you and to receive the same joy that we have. We ask as we look at your word that what we talk about will only be your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, says, He entered Jericho, that's Jesus, and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Here in verse 1, the text tells us that Jesus was passing through the city of Jericho. Jericho was a very important city in the first century, in the time of Christ. Uh, it was a major military hub, but it was also a major commercial hub. Um, the city it was particularly popular during the time of the Passover. And it was popular during the time of the Passover because you'd have a lot of Jews that were traveling from wherever they came from all over the place. They were traveling to go to Jerusalem. And it just so happened for a lot of Jews, in order to get, get to Jerusalem, you would have to go through the area of Samaria. And if you remember your Bible history, the area of the Samaria was a spot that Jews liked to avoid. I think that is interesting in the light of Jesus talking to somebody like Zacchaeus, like we'll get into in just a moment. But they would, they would take a detour around Samaria, and that would lead them through the city of Jericho. So it got a lot of foot traffic. And during the time of Passover, that was important because you'd have a lot of people coming through. That was a lot of money coming into the city, a lot of commerce that was going to happen in the city of Jericho. And because of that, it provided a large revenue for the royal family. And also, it was a great place if you were a tax collector. Because if that's where all the commercial activity was going to happen, then you wanted to have a tax collector there so he could gather the tax on whatever goods you were selling, gather the tax from individuals who were coming through. And so this is the city that a man named Zacchaeus lives in. And the text tells us that he was a chief tax collector. 
and he was very rich. Now, I think in order to understand this story, we need to understand a little bit about tax collectors because they were a very specific group of people in Israel uh, that it, it's important to understand how they were viewed and what their job really was. <clears throat> tax collectors uh, in Israel were typically Jewish people. Uh, that might not seem... Uh, natural because it's the Romans who are over things. You would think that you'd have a Roman tax collector with his Roman guard and he would go out so that they could you know, oppress people into giving their taxes, but that wasn't how the Romans did it. Instead, you would have these Jewish people who had agreed to become tax collectors, but it was a little bit worse than that because they weren't just asked to be tax collectors by Rome. These were Jews who had decided I want to go do that job. I want to go be a tax collector. I want to go be the one who takes the funds from my fellow countrymen and give it to this oppressive power. In fact, what you would do if you wanted to be a tax collector was you would go to whatever Roman official was over your area. You would go to him. You would say, I want to be a tax collector. And you would pay him for the right to collect taxes from your own people. It shouldn't be any surprise then that someone like a tax collector would be thought of as a traitor to his people because he was oppressing his own people by submitting himself to Roman rule. It's one of the reasons I've always found it fascinating that Jesus chose as two of his 12 disciples, Matthew, a tax collector, and a zealot because those two individuals probably would not have gotten along very well. And yet Jesus brings those two people together to serve him. But these tax collectors, they were viewed as traitors to their own Jewish people. And not only that, when they decided that they were going to be tax collectors and they paid for the right to do that, they also were making a conscious decision that they were not going to be involved in the worship of God at the synagogue. They knew if they made this decision, they weren't going to be allowed anywhere near the synagogue. They would be considered sinners and traitors of God's people. And this is the case of Zacchaeus. He is a tax collector, but not only that, he was a chief tax collector. The life of a tax collector living in Israel was a, lo a lonely life. Because you were someone who was shunned by your own people. In fact, likely, if, if you had a family, uh, you were shunned by your own family if you made this decision to go be a tax collector. Your family might even feel the brunt of the hatred of Isra Israelite people because their child had gone to make this decision. This is how much tax collectors were hated by the Jewish people. Zacchaeus wouldn't have been accepted in the home of any upstanding Jew, let alone talked to on a polite basis. He would have been absolutely hated. We don't really have a whole lot of um, information about what chief tax collectors were. We don't really 
have a whole lot of historical data about what that is. Maybe he was in charge of all of the tax collectors in that area. In that case, he, he might have been hated even more. But I think it's important to see Zacchaeus in this light because as we think about one of the major themes of Luke's gospel, and remember, Luke is writing his gospel to a Gentile man, a man named Theophilus, a Gentile. And secondly, as we explore through the pages of this gospel, we have to be struck with how often Jesus interacts with people who probably would have been shunned by everybody else. And Zacchaeus falls into this category. Jesus, over and over and over again in Luke's gospel, can be seen interacting with the outcasts of society. Well, Zacchaeus is an outcast from his own people. And it's likely that Zacchaeus was hated not just because he was a tax collector, but also because tax collectors were well known for being liars and cheats. In fact, they got wealthy off the back of their own countrymen. You know, when you would have somebody come through that had to pay the tax, uh, the, the tax collector would go, well, here's how much you owe, and you might say, well, that's more than I think I should owe, and, and you can't say anything because generally the tax collector's got a Roman guard there with him. So you just have to pay it, and the tax collector pockets whatever extra is left over. So not only has he betrayed his people by becoming a tax collector, Zacchaeus is probably one of these people, and it's, it's noted for us that he's a wealthy tax collector. He's probably one of these people that has gotten wealthy off the backs of his own countrymen. There's a traitor if ever I've seen one. It's no wonder that they hated him. It's no wonder that he would have been an outcast from his own people. I think we get the indication that he was a cheat down in verse 8 when he says, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So this is the man that we are introduced here in the first couple of verses of Luke chapter 19. Now verse 3, uh, well, backing up, this is the man that we're introduced to, and if we're being honest, or if I'm being honest, if I lived in that time period, I'm not sure he's somebody I would have spent a whole lot of time with either. But now verse 3 offers us an interesting piece of information. It tells us that Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. It doesn't tell us why he wanted to see who Jesus was, Certainly we know that Jesus' fame had been spreading throughout all of the land of Palestine. Maybe he's, he's heard that Jesus isn't just a great rabbi, but there's something remarkable about this rabbi. Maybe he's heard that this rabbi is doing some remarkable things. He's been healing people, he's been touching people, and they've been uh, made better from their demon oppression and, and whatever it might be. Maybe Zacchaeus is hurried about that. Maybe he's heard that this is somebody who's claiming to be the Messiah, the, the one that was foretold, the one that everybody thinks is going to release the Israelites from their Roman oppression. I don't know why he wanted to see who Jesus was, but whatever the case might be, Zacchaeus is curious. 
He wants to know and see who Jesus is. And as Jesus enters the city of Jericho, Zacchaeus is one of those people that is rushing with the crowd to see who Jesus is, but there's a problem. Zacchaeus is a small man. And because there is a large crowd, he can't see over the crowd to see who Jesus is. He couldn't see Jesus. And this was an obstacle that was standing in his way. He's curious about Jesus. He wants to see him, but he can't because he's too short. And as often is the case, when you have an obstacle in your way, you usually have a choice. Do I find a way around this obstacle, or do I just give up and go home? Zacchaeus is one of these people. He doesn't say, well, there isn't any chance that I'm going to see Jesus today. It's just, I should have gotten here earlier. I didn't. I can't see him. I guess I'll go home. That's not Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus instead decides, I'm going to find a way around this obstacle. I kind of get the, the sense that Zacchaeus was a pretty determined man. Because the text tells us in verse 4 that Zacchaeus runs ahead and climbs up into a sycamore tree just so that he can get a glimpse of Jesus. I tell you, I can see times in my life where I lacked that kind of persistence to see Jesus. Now, there have been times in my life, maybe you have experienced this too, where I've let the obstacles get in my way of doing what I needed to do to see Jesus. There is nothing more important than seeing Jesus. And Zacchaeus is determined that he is going to see this man that he has heard so much about. I tell you, we can learn a lot from this little man in Luke chapter 19. He just wants to see Jesus. There's no indication that he was going to try and talk to Jesus. No indication that he was going to try and touch Jesus. He just wants to see, who is this man that I've heard so much about? So he climbs up into this tree. I imagine that this scene must have been pretty ludicrous to anybody who saw it, seeing this short little man climbing up into this tree. Not a very dignified uh, sort of picture, at the very least. And you have this short little man that has spent his life probably defrauding people as a tax collector, climbing up into a tree just so he can see Jesus. But you know, I don't think in that moment that Zacchaeus cared how people viewed him. He just wanted to get up in that tree so that he could see Jesus. He had one goal in his mind, and nothing was going to stand in his way from reaching that goal. Now notice verse 5 with me. And when Jesus came to the place, I think that's an interesting phrasing. He came to the place. It's almost as though this place was planned out. But when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Everything 
before this has been building to this moment. Zacchaeus has climbed up into this tree. Jesus has entered the city of Jerusalem. Zacchaeus can see Jesus. Jesus is surrounded by a crowd of people. I'm sure there was distractions everywhere. People clamoring to talk to him. People clamoring to touch him. All around him. And yet it says when Jesus came to the place, with all of that distraction around him, he stops and he looks up. Because Jesus knows there's somebody up in that tree who is trying to see him. Jesus intentionally looks up. And this is the moment where we have to think and ask the question, well, who was seeking who? Zacchaeus was seeking to see Jesus, but now it seems like Jesus was seeking to see Zacchaeus. I wish I knew what was running through Zacchaeus's mind right there. This is in and of itself incredible, but it's what Jesus says that would have shocked every single person standing there that day. Come down. I am staying and eating at your house today. This is unbelievable. That a rabbi of Israel, someone who should know the law, who should be passionate about Israel, who should be passionate about his own people, this person should know better, and yet here he is looking up in this tree at this hated outcast of a man saying, I'm going to come have fellowship with you today. I'm going to go to your house. I'm going to stay with you, and I'm going to eat with you. Who is this rabbi? He's not like any other rabbi that they had in that day. I don't think you would have seen any of the Pharisees or the scribes looking up at this man going, I'm going to eat with you today. I'm going to spend time with you today. Not a single one. And yet Jesus intentionally looks up at this man and says, I'm going to fellowship with you today. I'm coming to stay at your house today. And I want you to imagine how that must have touched Zacchaeus. Can you imagine being an outcast from your own people with nobody wanting to have anything to do with you and to have someone look up at you and say, I'm going to spend time with you. Clearly, this man sees some kind of value in Zacchaeus that no one else saw. I have to imagine that touched Zacchaeus to his very soul. In fact, I know it had to have because of his response to all of this. What an incredible thing that happens just because Jesus intentionally stops and looks at a man who would have been shunned by everybody else. But this shouldn't surprise us. Jesus has been doing this all along. That's a theme in Luke's gospel. You think about Luke chapter 5. You remember who Jesus cleanses there in Luke chapter 5? It's a leper. The leper was someone who is an outcast of society. If you got leprosy, that meant that you were very contagious. According to the old law, you had to go outside of the camp, or in this case, 
outside of the city. You essentially, you either had to go live off in a commune with other lepers, or you, were, you had to go off on your own. You couldn't work, you couldn't provide for your family, you couldn't even be with your family, because you were considered unclean. You had to go away from everybody. And yet Jesus heals a leper. Not only that, he touches a leper. He touches an unclean man. Can you imagine how that must have touched that leper when Jesus touched him? When Jesus talked to him like he was a human being? It's incredible. You think about the woman at the well. Not only was she a woman who very often in first century Palestine were shunned and rejected by people, but she was a Samaritan woman. You remember we talked at the beginning about how people would, would take a long detour to get around Samaria so that they didn't have to interact with, talk with, have anything to do with these dirty, unclean Samaritans who were half Jewish, half Gentile. And yet Jesus takes the time to talk to this Samaritan woman. And she's taken aback by it. No one else has done this. Even his disciples are amazed that he's talking to this Samaritan woman. Can you imagine how that touched her? I think we can imagine because look at what it did for her. She rushes off to tell everybody, look at this person who's told me everything that I did. So it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus takes the time to look up and tell this outcast tax collector who everyone probably hates, I'm coming to your house to stay with you today. And since this story takes place in Jericho, it's hard not to think about that famous parable that takes place outside of Jericho on the road that Jesus tells, which is the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is, as we're going to see in a few verses, in verse nine, in, here in Luke 19, this is Jesus' purpose. He came to seek people like Zacchaeus. It's hard for me to read this story and not think of my own conversion. And how amazing is it that God sought me? How amazing is it that God sought you? And what a great lesson that Jesus teaches here. And we're going to see in a moment the full impact of what Jesus does here. But the text tells us that Zacchaeus hurries down out of the tree and he receives him joyfully. This man who is an outcast from his people is filled with joy because Jesus sought him out. And again, I think as we put ourselves in Zacchaeus' shoes, this has to be our response to the salvation that Jesus brings us filled with joy, filled with joyful obedience. Jesus said, come and get down out of that tree. That's exactly what Zacchaeus does, filled with joy. Our God has taken notice of us, unworthy as we are. How could we not be thrilled? Now, beginning in verse 7, I think we see two responses that it's important for us to take note of. First of all, verse 7 says, when they saw it, they grumbled. 
I don't know who, who exactly the they is here. Maybe it's the Pharisees, certainly in chapter 15 and verse 2, the same words are used to describe the Pharisees there. Maybe it's the disciples that are with Jesus. <coughs> or maybe it's the crowds, or maybe it's just all of them together. The point is, they are in disbelief that Jesus has talked to this man. That Jesus is going to go and stay at this man's house. How could a teacher, a rabbi, knowingly stay at the house of a man who is a sinner and a traitor to his own people? This is a guy who's defrauded people. He's a chief tax collector. He's in league with the Romans. How could Jesus do this? Why would Jesus do this? I want to pause here to make a point. I want to be really careful how I say this. Sometimes I am afraid that we find ourselves more in the camp of the grumblers here than we do in the camp of what Jesus did. And we need to beware and be careful about that. I'll tell you, I have been in places where someone walked in off of the street, you know, dressed in ragged clothes, and there was a noticeable shift around the congregation. People became uncomfortable. People began shifting a little further away from that person. Very few people went up and talked to that person. I felt it. Everyone else, I think, felt it. And I can almost guarantee you that person who came off the street felt it. I think each and every one of us has to look at ourselves and honestly evaluate how we respond to sinners who need the grace and the gospel of Jesus. How do I respond when I am faced with someone who deals with horrible problems in their lives? Maybe they've made horrible decisions in their lives and they need help. How do I respond to that type of person? particularly sinners like Zacchaeus who are seeking to see Jesus. I hope I would respond like Jesus would. I hope you would respond like Jesus would. I think the challenge is to respond like Jesus would. If someone is struggling with sin in their lives, we have to remember the question we asked earlier, who is seeking who? God is seeking those people out. He wants to save them. He wants them to hear the good news of the gospel. God is seeking sinners. He sought you and he sought me when we were sinners. And he seeks people like Zacchaeus. We have to beware the mindset of this crowd who see what Jesus did and grumble. You see what he's doing? Why would he do that? We've got to avoid 
that mindset. You remember what Paul says over in Romans chapter 12 and verse 16? Romans chapter 12 and verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. That, that's also the message of James chapter 2 where it talks about favoritism towards one who's dressed all nice and looks good and the one who doesn't quite look quite as nice. And we have to follow the example of Jesus. He knows this man's a sinner. Of course he does. He knows Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He knows what kind of man Zacchaeus is. He knows he's probably defrauded people that didn't stop Jesus from talking to him. And it shouldn't stop us from talking to people who need to hear the gospel of Jesus. So will we be like this crowd or will we be like Jesus? The second response to all of this is in verse 8. Zacchaeus responds to Jesus' invitation of staying with him. Zacchaeus is ready to give up his wealth help the poor. And not only that, he's going to give back what he's wrongfully taken, what he's defrauded from people. And the text doesn't tell us what the conversation uh, in his house was like between Zacchaeus and Jesus. And I think that is meant to tell us something. Jesus had a powerful effect on this man simply by going to his house. We don't have to hear the whole conversation that went on in their house. Simply by talking to Zacchaeus and going to his house, it has stirred something in Zacchaeus. And now he begins to change things about his life by not treating him like every other person would have. Jesus creates a change in Zacchaeus. But there's something else that that we need to see here. Zacchaeus is the perfect example of the fact that an encounter with Jesus requires a response. We can't stand still once we've had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus, I think, is the most polarizing figure in all of history. Once you have an encounter with Jesus, whether it's in his word or if you know someone met him in the first century, you can't go away from that without having a choice to make. And Zacchaeus has an encounter with Jesus and he makes a choice. And his life is transformed. And he affirms his repentance by making right what he has made wrong. And notice what Jesus says to him in verse 9. Today, salvation has come to this house. This is a man who is a sinner, a tax collector, hated by everyone else. And because he has responded to Jesus, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus is saved. And Jesus says that since he says he is also a child of Abraham. And I think that is meant to make us think of the crowd that grumbled earlier and how they would have treated him because he's, he's a traitor to the children of Abraham. They would have lifted up the fact that they were children of Abraham. But Jesus says, no, Zacchaeus is truly a son of Abraham, more so than any of these other people who grumbled before. He is a son of Abraham in its fullest sense. In verse 10, 
I think, tells us exactly why Jesus stopped at the place and looked up in that tree. And it gives us the mission of Jesus. Jesus says, I came to seek and to save the lost. At the end of the day, you wipe away the tax collector and the traitor. He was a man who was lost. Ground level. That's what Jesus saw when he looked up at Zacchaeus. That was his mission. And so Jesus sought him. I think there's a lot that we can learn about ourselves from Zacchaeus. At one point, all of us have been sinners, have been lost. Glory to be to God that he sought us out. Because he sought us out. When we seek Jesus ourselves, like Zacchaeus sought to see Jesus, he doesn't hide himself from us. He is there to be discovered. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 8 make that abundantly clear. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. If we will seek him, we will find him. True seekers will find him. So we need to be true seekers of Jesus, but in addition to that, true seekers of Jesus, when they find him, they then begin looking for other people. The same kind of people that Jesus did. There's a couple of applications I think we need to take from this story. First, we have to see people the way Jesus saw them. I titled this lesson, Those Jesus Sought, because those are the very same people that we have the task of reaching out to. If we are not doing that, either by talking to them or by the way that we live, we are failing in our task to follow Jesus. So we need to see people the way that Jesus sees them. When Jesus looks at Zacchaeus, he knows who, Jesus, who Zacchaeus is. But I don't think he sees the traitor of the Jewish people. I don't think he sees, you know, this tax collector. He didn't see someone who needed to be ostracized and cut off. He saw someone who was a sinner. He saw someone who was in desperate need of what he had to offer. And so he talked to him. It is so easy for us to slip into the sin of pride, isn't it? To look at someone like Zacchaeus, to look at someone standing out on the street or someone who comes in here who doesn't, you know, isn't dressed as nice. It is so easy to look at that person and go, I don't want to have anything to do with that person. I want to be with people like me. It's a wonderful thing to be with people who believe in the same things that you do. But we've got to be working together to bring other people into that fold. To let other people experience what we have in fellowship with one another. 
So we can't look at people with pride, but we need to see people the way that Jesus does. And when we see them in that way, we can crush that prideful spirit. And we are far more likely, if we have pride, to respond like the crowds did to the words of Jesus. And so, if we are to see people the way that Jesus sees them, we have a responsibility then to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Those we are seeking are the spiritually sick people. We are seeking them out. The people that may be polite society won't have a whole lot to do with. Maybe it's the person in the ragged clothes on the street. Or the single mom who has children with who knows how many fathers. She's going through a horrible time in her life. Or the criminal that is going through the consequences of their actions. Maybe it's a co-worker who seems to have everything together but lives an immoral life, whoever it might be. If Jesus sought those kind of people, shouldn't we? Absolutely. Not everyone will respond the way that we hope they will. All we can do is seek people out and try to teach them. Remember what Paul said. God gives the increase. But we can seek them out. Some that we talk to might be like Zacchaeus, already seeking. Others might not be seeking yet, but it might be that by a conversation with us, later on down the road, they begin to seek to see Jesus. Others won't have anything to do with us. That's That's the sad reality. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Jesus did. And there were plenty of people who rejected Jesus. He promises to make all of his wrongs right at Zacchaeus and then some. And that is exactly why we need to make an effort to reach these people. Zacchaeus was transformed. The world needs to be transformed needs to be transformed. And we can be critical parts of that valuable work. Jesus certainly thought it was worth it. If, and if we were to even have just an impact on one soul, it would be worth all of the rejection that we endured, all of the ridicule that we might endure. If one soul is transformed by meeting Jesus, and then being saved. I think this story is valuable to us today. There are a lot of people in the world that need to see Jesus, and we need to be welcoming to them. We need to try and reach out to them and help them in that journey. But we also have to put ourselves in the shoes of Zacchaeus because we've all been there, and sometimes we slip back in to that that situation where we are sinners. And we need to once again seek the one who can save us. 
like I said at the beginning, later on I want to go into more practical ways that we can go about this work of seeking out people in the world who need the story of Jesus. But I hope what we've done this morning is instill and inspire in each and every one of us the, the, the desire and the responsibility to reach everyone that we can reach. It's a valuable and it is a critical role that God has given to each and every one of us. We all play a part in this. I can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. But together, we can make a great difference in the kingdom of God. It may be this morning that you have not come to faith in Jesus, but you're beginning to seek. You can be like Zacchaeus. We want to talk with you. We want to teach you. We want to, we want to have whatever conversation we can with you. And if you're ready this morning to make the decision to put Jesus on in baptism, we want to help you with that this morning as well. We urge you to make that decision. And if you are a child of God and you're struggling with some kind of sin in your life, we want to help you. We want to be there for you. We don't want you to go wandering off on your own. We are here for you. Please let us help, help you. Please let us know if there's some need in your life. Whatever need you have this morning, we ask that you come forward as we stand and as we sing together.